the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Leibson Show. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. We have often spoken about here uh, the problems in this country, and uh, while they seem so suffused throughout the country, really a difference between where the elites are and where the rest of the American people are. It is a privilege to welcome back to the show. It's been a long time, my fault, but privilege to welcome back to the show Michael Anton, uh, many of you may know him from his essays or perhaps his book, his most recent book, The Stakes, America at the Point of No Return. He is a lecturer and research fellow at the Graduate School of Government, Hillsdale College at the Washington, D.C. campus, and a senior fellow of the Claremont Institute, among many other things. And he gave a tremendously important speech. America's elites are neither bright, competent, nor qualified. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? Doing just great. Thanks for this. And by the way, for the audience that wants uh, to get a copy of this, they can get it at AmericanMind.org, a publication of the Claremont Institute, AmericanMind.org. Michael, I would love to run through this essay with you. And starting with where you start um, in your speech uh, essay, uh, the use of the word regime. I use it. You use it. There's been pushback uh, from many in the uh, culture uh, against using that word. Uh, feel free uh, to address, as you did it in your speech, why, why regime should not be seen as a pejorative in this circumstance. Well, you know, it's an admission. If you're complaining about my use of the word because you think it's pejorative, you're basically admitting that there's something wrong with the regime. Right. I don't think people think that through. Like right. they, um, The regime is just a, it's just a French word for a Greek concept that means, you know, the Greek word is politeia, right. or form of government, right? So... If you have a form of, you know, if you have a, a constitutional monarchy, that's your regime. If you have whatever you have, the United States, the regime is supposed to be a representative republic uh, with three separated powers and three branches of government. I believe that regime no longer operates in the United States, certainly not as it's supposed to, uh, and has been effectively replaced or supplanted by a different regime, one that is more managerial, one that is less democratic, one that is more bureaucratic. And when I say it, that's what I mean. I mean, the regime, the actual way we are governed now. And so I'm just being descriptive. I'm uh, just trying to, to name names. Yeah, I think that's right. And when you do use the phrase or the word regime, what is the phrase that attaches to it to describe uh, the present uh, regime? Do you say the progressive regime? Do you say the elitist regime? How do you usually speak about it in your vernacular? Well, as I said, to me, the regime that we presently have now, it's, it's 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 hard to describe. It's yeah. it's kind of an oligarchy. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a bureaucratic, administrative state. You know, ruled by experts, ruled by civil servants, that kind of thing. Um, I I went outside. I apologize if this is, uh, but uh, these people were yelling in my house. So <laughs> you're better fine. off with you're the car fine. noise in the background <laughs> and the yelling. You're fine. You're um, fine. You're fine. Uh, you know, and it's. 
as I say in the piece, and I've been repeating lately because it's mystifying to me, I don't really know who's in charge of this regime. Yes, right. Right. Who's the sovereign? You know, if normally, like, when in, in, in a monarchy, it's the king, right? In a tyranny, it's, it's, it's the, the tyrant. In a pure democracy where everybody gets together and votes all together, right, it's the demos or the people. It's not clear who is in charge of this regime. Um, you know, is it the bureaucrats? Well, they nominally have bosses. They have, you know, directors and secretaries. Is it the president? Well, nominally, everybody reports up in a chain to the president. But I've seen it from the inside more than once how presidents have a difficult time getting uh, the regime to do what it wants, what he or she wants them to do. And then you also have the, the, the competing point, or the, which is very rare, or at least it's somewhat new in, in human history, is this enormous power outside government control. So you think back to you know, the Middle Ages or something. You had kings, you had nobles, you had um, big landholders, knights, you had guilds. And there was some power outside the formal governmental structure, but nothing like today the power that the tech sector wields, that the banking sector wields, that universities, some of which are public, but most of which are not. I suppose even the ones who aren't are kind of semi-public because they get so much money from the government. They mm -hmm. couldn't exist mm -hmm. without the government. Um, and so, you know, let's say you, you could elect a president, you can elect a Senate, a Congress, governors, and all that, but even though their power will be limited, even, even if they could completely control the people below them in their nominal chain of command, and they can't do that, but let's assume that they could, they would still have all of these power centers outside the government that they can't control at all, and that would very well, much limit what they could do. M Michael, would you say, in addition to what you just said, that the problem is further exacerbated because we have a regime that is working hand-in-glove with those, um, shall we say, outside auxiliaries you just mentioned, mentioned, social media, regular media, commercial media, that they're, they're operating almost together as one um, in, a, in, an, in an sense that's also new here. We set up this government. I think this goes back to something Justice Jackson once said. We set up government here where public opinion is supposed to control authority. Do we not sometimes get the view or the idea that, 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 that public opinion is now being controlled by authority in a perverse, reverse kind of sense? Controlled may be too strong. Okay. There's definitely a strong uh, pressure from the media to shape public opinion okay. and to rule what is in bounds and what is out of bounds. I think one of the reasons why we have there's so much elite frustration today yeah. is they really think they ought to have they ought to be able to control public opinion. Right. And, and they wouldn't even put it that way. They wouldn't say, no, no, we're not trying to control public opinion. But what they do believe is there's only one right opinion on any question. It's the simply correct scientific enlightened opinion. And they, they're really upset that you know, tens of millions of people don't believe it, despite their best efforts to, uh, they would say, persuade or convince you of the truth. I would say propagandize you into believing what they want you to believe. And this makes them mad. And they haven't figured out exactly how to ho completely homogenize opinion. It, it goes back you know, a couple hundred years to this, you know, for, from, from, let me put it this way, from the American founders' perspective, and really for, for all political scientists before that, and, 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 and even rulers before that, they knew there are competing claims to rule to the good, to what is right, and what sure, is just. Sure. None of them are fully 100% true. Right. They all have something to offer, some more than others. And they can't, you're never going to settle any of these questions for one and all. So politics is you manage these disagreements, come up with the best compromises possible to settle on the common good. Somewhere around 200 years ago, maybe a little longer, 
serious, you know, philosophers started to say, no, no, there's only one correct answer to every question. And we can, and politics can be made into a science that will answer these questions and then implement the answer so that we no longer disagree. And it's always the right answer that reigns. And I think our, our regime believes that today. And then they become frustrated and mystified as to why their answer isn't always prevailing and why there are still holdouts. And we sit here, I think, or many of us do, sit here mystified at the things we hear from this regime uh, that, 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 that violates all forms of, of contradiction. You call it the law of salutary contradiction. I heard the, secretary, the press secretary yesterday say that not only was the border secure, but to the degree that it's not, it's Republicans' obstruction, right? I mean, this, is, this gets to your law of salutary contradiction, well, doesn't the, it? the law of salutary contradiction is more precisely stated as that's not happening and it's good that it is. Okay. So let's <laughs> say right. you live right. in Arizona, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, you're a border state and you guys face the border crisis more acutely than most. Right. When you complain or uh, your citizens complain or maybe the governor complains, the first answer you always get from official Washington from the Fed is that's not happening. The border is right. totally secure. Right. But then the second part of the formulation is, and it's great that we're welcoming in so many <laughs> millions of migrants a year. Right. But wait, you just said it wasn't happening. Right. So it has to be not happening and try to, to shut you up. Up, but then, since they know it's happening, it has to be great that it's happening. Yeah, this is part of the you know part of the propaganda. Um, deny when you can deny, and then celebrate when you can't deny. Yeah, there's another element to it too, isn't there? When you think of things like I don't know uh, the trans stuff in schools or CRT in schools, first they deny. Then they defend, and then, funny enough, a couple weeks later, months later, they mandate. Right? That's an element of it too, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Similar, similar across the board for yeah. any number of issues. Yeah, absolutely right. I have to run to a quick commercial break. I will come back because I want to get into this series of elements that you um, define the elite by, and how it is they think of themselves, how it is they get away with what they get away with. We are talking to Michael Anton. He is, of course, the author of The Stakes, America at the Point of No Return, and a lecturer and research fellow at the Graduate School of Government at Hillsdale College. By the way, one of those colleges, I was referencing it in the last hour, that really doesn't take any government money. In no sense can it be considered uh, subject to uh, government dictates, which is one of the great reasons, among many others, you don't have to fill out those tiny and silly little boxes about what race you are if you want to go there or do anything. Anyway, I am Seth Leibson. He is Michael Anton, and we will be right back discussing his speech and essay available at the American Mind. Elite not expert. I'm Seth. He's Michael. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Michael Anton with us from Hillsdale College, also a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute. His book, most recent book, The Stakes, America at the Point of No Return. We're talking about 
speech that is uh, now an essay at the American Mind, AmericanMind.org, talking about governed, governance by the elite. Michael, you propose um, three related explanations uh, to explain elite behavior, and I wonder if we can run through those with you. Um, can we start with the first, which is uh, the self-perpetuation and the uh, desire to, to control the authoritarian personality, perhaps, stay in power, yes? Yeah. I mean, anybody who's in power or who has a you know an elite position wants to keep it. That's just human nature. Nobody wants to be on top and then fall from the top. Uh, and so human nature tends to be seek ways to maintain that, that level of status, and that's just normal. That's what people are going to do. If you don't expect people to act that way, then you're not really <laughs> – you don't have a sound grasp of how human beings are. But right, you don't have a sound grasp of human nature. But there, but there is an attendant explanation to this too, which is the difference between people who try to stay in power uh, through the normal constitutional and democratic processes and those who will pervert and distort them to stay in power. So, if we go back to maybe the first segment, we were talking about lies yeah. the regime may tell. Disinformation boards, for example, would be one way of doing it. Right? Yeah. I mean, look. It, it, I think the founders wouldn't be surprised by this. That is, if you, you know, Madison would say, look, it would be, Madison, Hamilton, they would all say, the best outcome is if the best people always get elected sure, and, sure. Then, and then don't try to manipulate the system sure. to stay in power. But they're well aware that all kinds of not great people are going to get elected and will try to use means to stay in power. And so it's one of the reasons why they designed the Constitution the way they did, to prevent that as good, well as possible. But Madison himself, he also uses that famous phrase in, uh, uh, I want to say Federal's 48, I think it is, um, parchment barriers. Yeah, as, as, right. And he's using that to dismiss, not dismiss, but to downplay. He's like, we can't fix this problem simply by writing the perfect Constitution. Right. You're not going to correct the evils right. and the flaws in human nature. That's right. With, uh, they're, we're going to need we're going to need vigilance in the people and in the uh, and in the citizenry to prevent these bad people from taking the reins of government, and using it for bad ends, and holding on to power for too long. Sure, sure. That that that's fully explainable. And of course, the founders yeah. were the founders uh, experienced this. I mean, alien sedition acts all the way through. Uh, but it's your second and third that I think get to the most interesting part of this. The second is. The elites think only short term. Whatever they need to do yeah. in the here and now, there's no tomorrow. And that helps explain, too, perhaps, why they can openly lie or contradict themselves so easily, right? Well, to me, it's, it's a more important explanation or the thing that it gets to is I've been hearing forever, you know, gr- conspir- grand conspiracy theories. Anytime something goes wrong, there's always somebody on the right and probably more than on the right, too, but on the, let's just focus on the right, who will say, well, no, 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 they really benefit from this because X. Yeah. So, you know, to me, a, a supreme example is the, the events of 2020. I don't think long-term they benefited from COVID hysteria, from lockdowns, from cratering the economy. You know, while we were hearing, like, well, you know, this is all for Bezos, so if we shut down the economy, all the retail closes and Bezos gets richer. Yeah. Really? I mean, was there a whole elite conspiracy just to benefit Jeff Bezos? Right. Uh, maybe, but it seems unlikely to me. They do all kinds of stupid things that are not in their interest that leave me puzzled. They ginned up gigantic riots in 2020 that, okay, yes, it damaged Trump and so on, but nearly all of these riots took place in their cities. 
in their citadels, right? People were not rioting in, in, in red rural areas or in red exurbs, or not that there are many red downtowns <laughs> right. in America. They were rioting in New York City, West L.A., Chicago Loop, and, you know, Market Street in San Francisco. Right. These, are, these are the elite strongholds. Why did they do this? I, I think that they can't think beyond the edge of their nose, and they're not, they don't think about the long-term consequences of what they're doing. Um, why right now are they ginning up this, this, this uh, or making worse a situation in Ukraine that could have tremendous blowback on them? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think they can't see beyond the edge of their nose. I could be wrong, but I just don't see evidence of a grand plan that explains everything. And, you know, Occam's razor, sometimes the simplest explanation is the, is the correct one. Um, or, you know, there's an old adage in Washington, you know, if, you, if, you're, if an event has two explanations, uh, one is, you know, evil conspiracy and the other is stupidity. Stupidity is probably the right answer. Yeah, yeah, which I want to circle back to in a moment, if I, if I can, because I, I, when, when you were speaking about this, thinking only the short term, the Boag's ideal example, I mean, we could spend the whole week giving examples, but the one I think of is when that riot took place in Baltimore in 2020 and Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, was asked about it, and she said people will do what people do. Um, and I remember postulating on the radio, OK, the next time Congress passes a marginal tax cut and the left doesn't like it, I guess they can go in and storm it or if, or vice versa. If, if the left um, raises taxes, Republicans can storm the Capitol. And the answer is people will do what people will do. Right. They, th- this would be an example of that, wouldn't it? Her statement? Well, it would, except that they know that they control like, you know, look at the response to January 6th compared to the response of all the takeovers right. the left has pulled on state capitals and right. public buildings right. since the 1960s. Right. Since they control all these institutions, they can bring the hammer down when the right does it and completely give a free pass to their people when they do it. So, you know, to anybody on the right who's listening, be, be very careful about going to protests because you're not going to be treated the same way as your counterpart on the left is treated, even if you are... Uh, entirely peaceful, orderly within your constitutional rights, they'll still find a way to get you on trespassing. But if you're on the right side, the correct side of the spectrum, and you burn down a city, yeah, you're probably going to be okay. By the way, do you have a good phrase for that? Ryan Williams and I call it regime or principal opinion hierarchy. Do you have a good phrase for that kind of uh, contradiction? no, and I don't. I'm okay. sorry to say. But, I, maybe I'll, but I'll it gets us the it. word regime in there <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Regime. I, mean, I had, a, I had a, the piece that you're talking about, the law of salutary contradiction. Yeah. I, I named seven regime propaganda tactics, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a name. <laughs> we'll, we'll run that through your filter next time. Yeah. This third one is really interesting too, and this is this is the biggest one. They are in a in the grip of a faith like ideology that they cannot question. There's an ardency, a Martinet viewpoint here, isn't there? Yeah. So to me, the, the whole the whole transgenderism thing. I'm, I, I ask myself, what are they getting out of this? Yeah. Right. And even if there were no pushback, you'd still have to wonder what they're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. And there is pushback. Parents are getting upset. They're losing school board fights around, the, in even in very liberal places. It, 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 I don't see how it's helping them. But my, I think that they simply can't question their own doctrine or the, the tenets of wokeism. Um, it, it's so sacrosanct that uh, no matter where it leads them, they feel like they are obligated. They have no choice but to just... Stay the course, even if staying the course harms their own interests. 
exactly right. Let me take one more quick commercial break with you and come back and we'll make uh, we'll draw a few conclusions from what you laid out here, Michael Anton. Thank you. I am Seth Liebson. He is Michael Anton. If you want to see this great speech now essay, go to AmericanMind.org. Obviously, the author is uh, our guest, Michael Anton. It's called Elite not expert. Michael Anton is the author most recently of The Stakes, America at the Point of No Return, and is a lecturer and research fellow at the Graduate School of Government for the wonderful Hillsdale College. Michael and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Michael Anton is our guest, and we're talking about his recent speech and current essay at AmericanMind.org on elites, not expert. Michael, to sum it up on any number of fronts, I want to go back to this notion of what the elite is and how they can be so um, really so 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 really very stupid. Um, let, let's take an example. I mean, one thinks of elite, one thinks of educated, one thinks of experience, one thinks of credentialed. You can have learned ignoramuses. Does ideology explain it or what explains the what you and I would think of as actual stupidity where we're hiring airline pilots not based on whether they can land a plane and negotiate a storm, but what race they are, for example? Well, to be clear, they've only announced that they're going to start doing that, and we'll see how how far they go or how well it gets implemented. But here again is a thing that I don't see that's in their interests, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm, you know, big airline company and I start hiring pilots based on any criteria other than skill at piloting and there start to be plane accidents, that's going to cost me a lot of money and a lot of reputational damage. And I don't see how that's in their in their long-term interest, even though it might be in their short-term interest you know, because there's all this pressure on them. Well, you must diversify, and 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 so on. Well, you can get some of the, some of the uh, activists and government regulators and so on to back off for a time. But does that outweigh the long-term interest? I also kind of dispute the notion that they're stupid. I, I don't think that they're smart. I certainly don't think they're well-educated or knowledgeable. But they must know something because they've been able to take over an entire country, build a new regime, and cement themselves into positions of power. Total morons wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, it's kind of humiliating for us who oppose them that, you know, we let it happen. I mean, we let ourselves, in a way, get conquered by a bunch of dolts. So maybe I'm trying to make myself feel better by saying that they're not, they're not all that stupid. <laughs> I don't think, though, and, and, and you know, to, to an extent, they're keeping this thing going yeah. somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, America's still here. You know, the system is toddling along. It's, it's teetering, but, it, but somehow it still works for now. Yeah. Um, but where they come from is, is it just they, they, they come from the same school. They, so they come from basically a body of elite universities that all teach the same thing. And, in fact, not even elite universities. All universities teach the same thing. The difference is to really get into a senior position in the elite, you had to have gone to one of the elite ones. Yeah. So you may get the same education at you know, 
ball state uh, in Indiana that you would get at Yale in terms of the content, but Yale is, is infinitely more likely to get you a job in investment banking or as a senior bureaucrat or eventually, you know, uh, a cabinet post or whatever, whatever, you know, high position you're seeking down the line. And it's very likely your professor at Ball State may have gone to Yale and has that similar yeah. uh, network uh, and, and, and fibrous con- con- connections. Michael, last question, if I might, just a little privilege of the host here. Uh, you famously described 2016 as the Flight 93 election. Um, do you think that our elections going forward, whether this November or two years subsequent from now, we with this, the stakes are higher than they were in 2016 or about the same? In a way, they're lower because I don't think that... Um I, I have serious doubts that the elections will be fair. Okay. And I have serious doubts that if... Uh, Republicans win them, they will be allowed to take power and actually exercise their constitutional powers and govern the country. So, you know, and it's, I, I, I feel bad saying that, and I almost feel guilty saying that, because I will be accused of saying, well, you're just telling people not to vote. No, go vote. It's good. I'm going to vote. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm going to vote in 2022. I'm going to vote in 2024. I just have rather low expectations of what my vote is going to be able to accomplish, especially since part of the regime change that we opened this by talking about yeah. has been to decrease the importance of voting relative to the other power centers within the regime. Is it also fair to say that the elites have done a pretty good job on the opposition party, the Republican Party, in uh, weak, um, how, how should I say, vitiating some of some of what you and you and I might consider serious and strong conservatism? It, it's not. It, it, it's. I don't know. I think Trump helped shape it. But I don't know that it is still as lasting as what Trump shaped. Is that fair? I think that the, that the elites have, the, sorry, the Republicans did it more to themselves. Okay. Yeah. In part because they desperately want the approval of the elite. Yeah. They want to be counted as fellow elites. Yeah. And they know, just like anybody knows, you know, what they're supposed to say and believe and what they're not supposed to say yeah. and believe. Yeah. And so, you know, if you want to be a Republican in, with some standing in D.C., um, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a narrow range of acceptable back, opinion. Back to rule to one, that. right? Back to rule yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. And they stick to it. Yeah, exactly. Michael Anton, you're tremendously, uh, tremendously generous with your time and your brain and your scholarship. We, we, we thank you very, very much and uh, wish you Godspeed. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks. You betcha. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.